The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick here for a special short episode with our friend Alex Kazora, who is over uh, at Steelers Depot, correct? Yep, Steelers Depot. All right, very good. Uh, always one of the people we have on for at least one show per year to talk about the Steelers and, and the Know Your Foe episode. But this time, after a couple of tough Steeler losses, and Ravens fans have certainly been here before with this, um, there seems to be an epic amount of fire Tomlin Twitter chatter, buzz, whatever you want to call it, going across so- social media and and a lot of the boards and whatnot. I want to talk with with uh, Alex about that a little bit because we've certainly faced it in in the past with Harbaugh, and uh, talk about the the kind of sign of the, some of the similarities and the parallel tracks these two great coaches have run along. But uh, Alex, first of all, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate having you. Yeah, thank you, Ken. And and maybe take us through a little bit for starters about the history of Mike Tomlin and and I know Steelers fans probably know it by heart. Ravens fans know the Harbaugh era. I'm sure by heart. But since we're talking primarily, I think to a Ravens audience, take us through that. Sure. Well, got hired as the Steelers head coach in 2007, and at the time, it was a surprise hire. We actually at Steelers Depot just interviewed somebody who wrote a biography on Mike Tomlin and covered the Tomlin hire at the time for one local Pittsburgh papers. And at the moment, in whenever Bill Cowher stepped down after the 06 season, the assumption was there'd be an internal promotion, either Ken Wisenhunt or Russ Grimm two head coach to replace Bill Cower. And instead they went with Tomlin who had one year of coordinator experience. He was a DB's coach in Tampa Bay originally from, I believe, 01 to 05, then hired by Minnesota as their DC in 06. And then Pittsburgh as the head coach in 2007, won the Super Bowl in 08, went back in 10, lost that to Green Bay. And then it's kind of been a stagnant last couple of seasons for Pittsburgh, no playoff wins since 2017. And so you couple that with the, two ugly losses, two and 10 to the uh, Arizona Cardinals and New England Patriots. Things are kind of coming to a head. Yeah. So both of those, of course, at home, these last two losses, but tremendous total playoff success for Tomlin. Certainly the, they were the speed bump. The Ravens just could not get over the It's not a speed bump. It indicates you can get over it. It's a, the, 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 you know, the tall wall, the Ravens could not get over in the early Harbaugh years. Uh, but uh, you know, Safe to say his his legacy is probably cemented as a head coach or as a Hall of Fame head coach at this point? You know, I've wrestled with that a bit, to be honest with you, in terms of does he have the credentials for Hall of Fame? He's certainly close and a, and a worthy candidate. It's a little analogous to Bill Cower, where it's it's one ring, and usually the guys that are one ring coaches are borderline two, you're in. It's kind of almost mm-hmm. locked at that point. And so I look at a guy like Bill Cower, he got in, but it took until that centennial class that then they had what 20 or so people that got elected or got inducted and enshrined in the Hall of Fame. So I think Tomlin's in a similar view. 
I, I would lean towards him getting in the hall right now just because of the respect that he has. The national media has loved this guy for a long time, in a lot of ways, justifiably and rightfully so. So I wouldn't call it a slam dunk, but he's on that on that track. Yeah, well, obviously one of his records that's that's much um, adored. I, I, it's not the, exactly the correct word is that he's never had a losing season. Yeah, it's the main talking point you hear about with Mike Tomlin, especially recently because the playoff success has not been there. It's been, yeah, he hasn't had the playoff success, but he's never had the losing season. And I can respect that. I can appreciate that. Winning in the NFL is tremendously difficult. And there's been some years where you wonder how they finished 500 or better in 2019 Mm -hmm. when they lose Ben Roethlisberger six quarters in. And they're starting a second year Mason Rudolph and undrafted rookie free agent Duck Hodges. And they go, they were eight and five at one point. They finish eight and eight. So there's been some turbulent years where he's really, you know, shined through. But for me personally, I really have come to loathe that that talking point because in Pittsburgh, the standard is not to go 500 or better. It's to put trophies in trophy cases. I get you're not going to win the Super Bowl every single year. My concern, and I've had this concern for a couple of years, not just reacting to where they are right now. But does the bar get lowered too? Yeah, they didn't win in the playoffs. They didn't make the playoffs, but at least they won 500. To me, that is a reduction and dropping of the standard that is not in the philosophy of how the Steelers are supposed to be run. Let's come back to that. Let's let's put that in the parking lot for a minute because I want to talk about a little bit about Tomlin's background first mm-hmm. of all, and and the, the first you mentioned a little bit about his time as a as a DC for one year in Minnesota and and, and previous time as a DB uh, DB coach. And Harbaugh has a similar background because he was a special teams coordinator and a and a DB coach for one year, and uh, you know obviously did, does not really have that that uh, background as a long term coordinator that that teams often look for. Tell us a little bit about what the Steelers have made public about the hiring process for Tomlin back in 2007. The Ravens made a big deal out of out of out of that in 2008 with Harbaugh, which I can talk about in a minute. But I, mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear how how it was what's been made public about the 2007 hiring process. Well, I was a bit younger back then, so I've kind of had to do some more history and research than trying to remember it real time. I mean, they were open about you know them interviewing Tomlin first, and then a second round of interviews. What I would just comment on, right before Tomlin was announced as the hire, there was a lot of confusion. There were reports that Russ Grimm was hired, and the Pittsburgh had offered him a contract, and they were negotiating details, and the team publicly came out and shot that down. And so we have not reached an agreement with any candidate so far. So that was kind of the biggest story of that process. But I think back then it was, A, it was a little less media intense the way that it is today, obviously. But, you know, Pittsburgh, as they did when they – replace Kevin Colbert would announce who they interviewed with in second rounds of interviews. And that was really all the public commentary besides them refuting the reports of some, somebody being hired, Russ Grimm being hired uh, when that got, I think initially reported by sports illustrated back at the time. Okay. And uh, the, the actual process of vetting people, did the Steelers ever really talk through that? I mean, I'll tell, I'll give you, I'll tell you what happened in the Harbaugh cases. They, they actually put out and Bishotti's background as of course is in, is in personnel management. So they, they put out a, maybe an eight to 10 page thing in a, in a, um, a special magazine that went to the season ticket holders in the off season talking about a little bit about the Billick, why they let Billick go. But that was like just a little bit of it. Most of it was talking about, 
what they did to hire Harbaugh and included all these details about how certain people were engaged with him to to bring him back in the van from the airport. And they talked to Garrett and they talked to Harbaugh and they they like this about one and they like this about the other. And then they decided Harbaugh was a guy. But all these all of these specifics about about how the hiring process worked to lay that bear for the thing. I think it's one of the greatest things that's been done in the Bashadi era in terms of of really showing people. I'm just wondering if if they if the Roonies really laid that bear at the time. And and but part of the reason I'm asking mm. is of course the Rooney rule is named after the Roonies <laughs> in terms of hiring African American uh coaches and and a you know a, a, a rule set that now is in place to incent that. And I'm not trying to dig into whether or not that's that's actually working at the level it should. I'm just trying to say there is a rule now to incent it. Um, talk maybe a little bit about that in terms of uh, did they ever go into any of the minority uh, decision making that went with it, or were they just all Harbaugh's the right man for the job? I uh, sorry, Tomlin is the right man for the job. Period. Yeah, it was more the latter. And one important point is because that's occasionally brought up, and I understand that was Tomlin initially received and looked at as fulfilling the Rooney rule requirement. And they actually interviewed Ron Rivera prior to Mike Tomlin, who's a minority. Mm-hmm. And so that that qualified and satisfied the Rooney rule. So there was no need to interview Mike Tomlin to satisfy that. Um, the story, and I actually learned this more recently from the, the book on, on Tomlin, is that John Wooten, who I believe was the head of the Fritz Pollard Alliance, that would send out lists of up-and-coming minority coaches to owners uh, Dan Rooney was close with him and John Wooten got with Dan Rooney and said, you have to at least interview this Mike Tomlin guy. He's a really sharp guy. He's a fast riser. And Tomlin, to his credit, rose through the ranks really quickly. I mean, he started out in college at VMI for a year. A couple years later, he's at Memphis, Cincinnati. He got some attention from places like Syracuse and Notre Dame, jumped to Tampa Bay a couple years later. Actually, after his first year at Tampa Bay, Tony Dungy gets fired. He wanted to bring Tomlin to Indy to be his DC and Tampa blocked it. And so he had to stay there a couple more years in Tampa and then went to Minnesota for a year mm. and then got hired by Pittsburgh. So um, to, to answer the question, there was no laying it out the way the Baltimore did other than the standard commentary you would get with a, a head coach and, and why he was the guy. Um, but it did not have anything to do with the Rooney rule aspect because that was satisfied when they previously interviewed Ron Rivera. Okay. All right. Uh, great. I mean, it's and it's obviously both those hires have turned out to be great ones. And, and uh, you know, I think we can we can honestly say race had nothing to do with either hire in terms of the man being right or wrong for the job. They just both were outstanding coaches, as it turned out. Um, let's talk a little bit about Tomlin's weaknesses and strengths in terms of dealing with the media, because that's I, I, I think Arbaugh has one gaping problem there but on the other hand he hasn't really ever blown up at the media where we saw brandon staley melt down for instance the last year uh two weeks ago you're asking just in terms of has tomlin blown up before or just a general outline of how he handles the media yeah so so i I think it's two questions in there the first is has there ever really been a case where he's just exploded on the media or and and the second is is there any general failing he has in the way he interacts with the media Well, to answer the first question, I think the most memorable example is a relatively recent one, uh, whenever I believe it was Carson Palmer first floating the idea of would Tomlin go to USC, and that got some traction for a day or two, and Tomlin was asked about that during a a press conference, a Tuesday press conference, and was very adamant 
that he was not leaving anywhere and said there wasn't a booster with a big enough check to get him to go somewhere <laughs> else. And that, that was kind of the money quote on that. And I think he took personal offense to it. He referenced, you know, you never heard at the time, Sean Payton get asked about, is he going to go coach somewhere else, go back to college or go to college and never heard that with Andy Reid. So not entirely sure if he was implying a race thing or just a, a status thing there, but that was a, a pretty memorable tense moment in terms of, in terms of his overall dealing with the media, he's certainly in control. Um, you don't see the pushback or the real intense line of questioning that you see in other places. And, and, and part of that's his tenure and status as the longtime Steelers head coach and not a guy that's going to be fired in a year or so media does not want to get on his bad side. I look at like Chicago, I watch Matt Eberflus and the Bears media hammers that guy. I mean, they just go after that guy repeatedly, stuff that would never happen in Pittsburgh. But again, it's different circumstances, younger coach, less of the resume, those types of things. So I would say that Tomlin generally holds court with the media and he is in usually full control, especially after a win. He certainly, you you can see the demeanor change a bit after a win as opposed to a loss. So um, I would say he can certainly be icy and, and, and terse at times, um, but he can also open up to and, you know, be a little, he's not as a uh, banter with the media, but occasionally, but I would say overall, it's a pretty standard media relationship, but Tomlin's the guy and everyone tries to stay on his good side. All right. I, 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 you know, just talking about Harbaugh in some of the same light, I cannot ever recall him really blowing up at the media. He is occasionally is one particular guy in Baltimore who seems to ask injury questions more frequently than others. Uh, a, a guy I like personally, Jerry Coleman, but, but he's asked a few too many injury questions over the years. He occasionally will get some, some uh, blowback o- over that kind of thing. But I, you know, in, in truth, I believe that Harbaugh is kind of at fault for creating that culture because Harbaugh should be basically saying our only comment is no comment with regard to injuries. And that's something, you know, anyone who works with corporate M&A or, or anything where there's insider trading might be a, a, a risk that you'd be happening with. Our only comment is no comment is, is just a very common mantra. And that should be what, what Harbaugh does with regard to injuries. There's no, no reason why any fan needs to know in advance What's going on with injuries for the for the players? And there's no reason why any reporter wants needs to know if the organization does not want them to report it. So you just you just should say, sorry, our only comment is no comment with regard to injuries, and have a canned answer every time a question that that, that borders on injuries. Now there can be some press people get pretty sharp about asking the right question that just borders on it, and we'll get them to commit to something. But mm-hmm. Harbaugh has been too quick over the years, in my opinion, to say no, it's not a problem. You know, he'll be back. He'll play. He'll, he'll be back tomorrow. For then the other side of that, when he has to kind of be coy and cagey about what's going on, you know, it's something pretty serious. And, and he, you know, his own style kind of gives away information in that regard. So it's, it had to be something I'd, I'd I, the only thing I'd really criticize him about it in terms of how he handles the media directly. Yeah, that's interesting with Tomlin. I mean, he's never going to be super forthcoming with injury situations. He'll give you just enough. Basically, he's going to let you know what the injury report's going to look like during the week. If he says, mm-hmm. you know, we'll leave a light on for a guy, he may be limited early in the week. You know, okay, he's probably going to play on Sunday. He may be limited on Wednesday, Thursday, but likely good to go. So he'll give you, he'll basically just give you a preview of what the injury report looks like and nothing more. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I forgot to ask earlier is what's been Tomlin's role in the draft during his years with the Steelers? Do you, do you have a sense of just how powerful he is in terms of directing uh, mm-hmm. selections? Sure, I would say, well, what the Steelers would say is it's always a, a Steelers decision, and the decision is made by three men, the head coach, the GM, 
and the owner, and they collaborate on that. So I think post-Kevin Colbert, who stepped down after the 2022 NFL draft, and Omar Khan was promoted and, and, and res- assumed that role, I should say, I would guess that Tomlin has a bit more pull because Colbert was one of the few guys that was there before Tomlin was hired. Colbert hired in 2000, Tomlin in 2007. So there may be a bit more sway if I had to guess, but they're all, they always frame it as a Steelers decision. In terms of the draft process, you won't find a head coach that's as in person and in, in, in like in your face about the draft as Mike Tomlin. He attends as many pro days as any head coach you'll see. He goes everywhere. You know, when they drafted Kenny Pickett, he was at every quarterback's pro day in person, which I suppose is not that unusual for the quarterback position. I'm sure most head coaches are uh, of that same view. But every single Steelers first round pick since 2011, 2010 or 2011, has had either Mike Tomlin or the GM attend that pro day. So they want to see these guys in person. It's very old school boots on the trail kind of thing. I know this is more of a GM versus head coach comparison, but I I compare it to Ted Thompson of the Packers. Like Mm -hmm. he was very much like, I want to see you guys in person. He had the quip that if he ever stopped being a GM, he would go back and just be an area scout and just go scout, you know, the East coast or whatever. Like Tomlin is that kind of guy. Kevin Colbert was that kind of guy, a lot more older school, not super into analytic analytics would rather watch the guy in person and get a feel for them in person, get to know the man too, not just the player, but the, the man, his family, his upbringing, those kinds of things. If Tomlin wants a pro day dinner, he gets it. Even for guys he won't draft has no chance of drafting. He will get a pro day dinner or interaction with them. So because he's Mike Tomlin guys love him. They, they revere him. He gets that access. Yeah. That's uh that's definitely something good to have. And I think every, every head coach pretty much, attends a combine because of the op- opportunity for interviews there and sure. you you know you, you you certainly get that but uh, but you're talking about another level if you're visiting every pro day now one thing Tomlin coming from a defensive coordinator background has had still a string of outstanding defensive coordinators who've worked for the Steelers and under him starting with Dick LeBeau right he was the first or, or did he come back at some point LeBeau was the first, and the one of the first questions in that press conference when Tomlin was hired was, will you keep Dick LeBeau? And he did keep Dick LeBeau for, for a long time. So, yes, that was his first D.C. And then how many how many total D.C.s has he had during his tenure now? There'd be three, Dick LeBeau, Keith Butler, and then the current D.C., Terrell Austin. Okay. And has there ever been on a sense on either side of the ball that he wasn't deferring to his own D.C. and his own O.C.? The understanding is, and we've kind of learned more about it over the years, is that Tomlin runs the defense. He may not make every single play call, but it's his defense to run game plan and game day wise. And so I won't say it's a DC in name only, but probably pretty close to that, where Tomlin's very hands off, lets the OC do his thing. It's funny, though, Tomlin was a wide receiver in college. He's got an initial Mm -hmm. offensive background and then flipped over to uh, defense later in his coaching career. But um, yeah, the understanding is Tomlin, you know, bears the responsibility for the good and bad of this defense. Okay. Very interesting. So we've, we certainly heard that about Bill Belichick and, and a lot of the uh, what goes on at new England on the, on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of the times it is, is very unusual to see a coach turn his back on the field, but I have seen Belichick do it one time, uh, you know, a game against the Ravens actually he was over yelling at his defensive line to, you know, you got to get together. It's 14 to nothing. or We're going to be out of this game kind of thing. Um, do you see that from Tomlin ever where he turns his back on the field to address issues? 
I mean, you've seen clips of him talking to guys on the bench, but generally I would say his eyes are front and center on the field and what's happening. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So, uh, well, let's start, let's come back to the current Steelers situation. And, um, some of this, there's, there's always an underlying current of, of what I would typically call crazies because they're a minority. Let's just say it's an, a minority viewpoint of fire the head coach wherever you are. All right. And right now, Brandon Staley in, in, in uh, LA, it's probably 75% of the people who really believe it ought to happen. And I don't really have a good sense of for Pittsburgh of what percentage of the people really think Tomlin ought to go for now. And I'm, I'm dying to hear that from you. Yeah, I mean, it's always hard to take the snapshot of the internet and know how much that applies to the broader fan base. I would just say that the heat's on Mike Tomlin now more than ever before, even from just a general fan base viewpoint. And it's probably as justified as it's ever been before. Of course, anytime a head coach loses, you're going to get the calling from that slice of, of the fan base, that slice of Twitter. What am I quote unquote, not hobbies, but something I'll do is like if, if a head coach, if a team's getting destroyed, I'll just type in fire the coach's name and just see how the <laughs> internet's react. I want to put together a Twitter account that just retweets fans that say, we'll fire, you know, Nick Serrani because the Eagles are going to lose this week and something like that. Cause it always happens. But I would say now you've seen the, the largest percentage. I can't tell you what that number is, but I would probably say a majority of, of fans, if I had to guess, if you ask them, should the team fire Mike Tomlin, they would say yes. Okay. Uh, and, um, you know, Steelers fans, and I think like Ravens fans who have called for Harbaugh's head anytime during his tenure, uh, it's often the devil you know that is is the much better gamble than, than the other choices. And the Steelers obviously have made their entire successful history under Noel Cowher and Tomlin by having co- head coach stability. Is this something – how far along the line do you think the Roonies are towards making a move? Well, that's it, it's the million dollar question. It's the only question that matters here. No matter what the fan base says, the Roonies have the call. It's hard to know because obviously for Pittsburgh, three head coaches since 1969. So we have not been down this road ever really before in modern, you know, post merger history about the team firing a head coach. Chuck Noll was not fired. He retired. He stepped down. Bill Cowher was not fired. He stepped down with maybe some thinking he would return to the NFL. Never did. So there's not really been any sort of precedent to know what, how far is, you know, how far is too far before the Roonies make a move. So we're kind of all, it's, it's like with Matt Canada. It's the first time they had ever fired a coordinator midseason in their team history. So you didn't really know what that line was until they actually revealed that line my sense is right now ken and there is four games to go and listen pittsburgh it'd be typical steelers to to lose these two games and then go run the table get in the playoffs you know that's just the typical pittsburgh thing to do but my sense is 2024 will be make or break for mike tomlin he will return i'm fairly confident he's not going to get fired after the season i think the Roonies aren't going to have you know that dramatic change all at once, all in one season. Especially if Kenny Pickett's going to be their quarterback in 2024, which I suspect that he will be. But I think next year is going to be make or break for both Tomlin and Kenny Pickett. Are you are you the guys that can lead us into the future or not? This is your chance to show it or not. So that's my my assumption, my guess, my educated guess as we sit here today. Okay, all right. Um, 
we've seen some behavior on the Steelers. I don't know recently from the wide receivers, from Deontay Johnson, from uh, Pickens. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, by the way. I think either each of them has had incidents this season. Is that correct? You're right. Both have very much shown their frustration of how the season has gone for them. Okay, and and it's not uncommon for high-profile wide receivers to do that. Of course, we've all seen Terrell Owens and any number of you know. Antonio Brown, Steeler fans. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 Johnson and Pickens are doing is is child's play compared to how AB once took it. Okay, all right, very good. Um, is is any of that transfer uh, projected onto onto Tomlin as a weakness in coaching, fairly or unfairly, by by the fan base? I would. I would just say it's a microcosm of the larger concern, and it's the first time really I've ever felt does Tomlin have control of that locker room. I know that was a point about Bell and AB during their kind of sagas, um, but I think Tomlin did as good of a job as possible to handle those things. He probably kept the AB stuff quieter, longer than any head coach would have been able to, but I, I you wonder right now, the the locker room seems pretty fragile and I'm an outsider. I'm speculating. I can't tell you with certainty, obviously, but it, it feels like there's a bit of a culture problem where you have leaders like Minka Fitzpatrick essentially calling that out after the loss saying guys can't just come in here and expect to win just because they put on a Steelers Jersey questioning mentality and toughness and work ethic and accountability and those types of things. So the, the prior to this season, the one thing I could, tell you about Mike Tomlin as maybe the highest compliment was he had never lost that locker room, which is so tough to do over yeah. the ebbs and flows and roster changes and social media exposure and the increase of that and those types of things. That was the number one credit you could give Mike Tomlin. He always kept that locker room together, good times or bad. And now maybe the first year that you can begin to question that. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, as an in-game coach, um, how would you rate him on a what a ten scale? How are you'd like to do it uh, in terms of decision making, game management, the things that a head coach is is projected? Most of that responsibility is projected upon. Yeah, I would say it's probably below par, below where you would like it to be, especially for a head coach who's been around and doing the job as long as Mike Tomlin. His challenge record is poor. I don't have the exact percentage, but it's not a high rate of success, even relatively speaking to other coaches around football. The in-game management has been questionable, including this Patriots game. There was some some valid questions about how they handled some of the late game decisions. Um, again, it's kind of hard to put a grade on that because it can encompass so many things and you're dealing with a lot of time. There's been good moments and bad moments but I would say it's not his strongest suit. Okay. Well, fair enough. And I, I think it would be fair to say that that's been one of Harbaugh's strongest suits is kind of embracing analytics more over the years. Not his thing when he came for, to the Ravens at the first, but they, they've, you know, approached it and, and addressed it more and more. And they have, like, a, like all teams I expect, have analytics people on the headset loop who are advising them on plays. And Harbaugh overrules them on a lot of them. But, you know, with Lamar Jackson, they've been much more aggressive about when they go for it. And they've also done some very smart things this year, I think, about not going for some of the higher leverage um, plays, even that have positive expectation, because you don't want to heap your chances to win or lose the game into a few plays if you're a very mm -hmm. good team. So you want to sure. spread it out over the whole game. So with in, in the case of uh, of Tomlin, I know he's typically among the league leaders in what we call cowardly punts, 
and and I don't I you know the term is it 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 was there before I got here you know I didn't sure. I didn't make it up, uh, but a lot of fourth and one from midfield punts obviously believes in his defense. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This is, is how I'm sure some people would put it. On the other hand, um, if you believe in your defense, you can also believe in them from midfield too. <laughs> sure, uh, that, that's his general mantra, especially recently and understandably so, considering the, the defense has been the strength now for several seasons. Um, I would just say two more things on that. There was a time when Tomlin in Pittsburgh was among the most aggressive teams in going for two. There was one season mm-hmm. around 2017 or so. They were the league leaders, and it felt like they were pioneering that, and they pulled back off of that dramatically. The other thing with Tomlin is his decision-making in-game, I would call unpredictable because he's not married to the analytics the way maybe a Brandon Staley is or I wouldn't call Harbaugh married to it based on your comment, but he doesn't embrace it probably as much. He's a gut guy. He goes Mm -hmm. off of his gut. And so that can vary game to game, season to season, circumstance to circumstance. You're never quite sure. It's hard. There's no situation where you sit there and say, oh, I know for sure they're going to go for it, or I know for sure they're going to punt or whatever the decision is. Tomlin is very much a go by his gut kind of old school, old school coach. And so that makes that decision making, I would call unpredictable. Right. Okay. Oh, that's that's a that's a you know a distinct uh, position for him. Um, yeah. How about his relationship, his ability to relate with players? And I think I've heard the answer already here in a number of things in terms of him being able to get whatever interview he wants, and you know players revering him in general. Does he still even as he's a little older now have the same ability to relate with young players that he always has? I would say so. I think commonly you ask the national media, what's his biggest strength? It's that it's the ability to, to relate to players, to give each guy what he needs. So he said the the phrase before it's kind of one of his mantras. He won't treat everybody equally, but he'll treat them fairly. So different guys get different, different marks. And, and to be, that's how every coach operates. The stars get different treatment than the 53rd guy on the roster or the 90th guy on the roster in camp. Tomlin's just much more open about saying that, and players respect that. He's a transparent coach. He's not going to give you the BS behind closed doors that maybe other coaches will. He's very honest and upfront. So he gets labeled as the player's coach, and for the longest time, he kind of turned up his nose at the phrase because I think he had the connotation of it was, oh, I'll, I'll be your buddy, I'll be your friend. But to me, he's a player's coach in the sense of players respect him. They believe what he says. They have generally speaking bought into his message year after year. And so I think he does a great job to relate to those guys. I've talked to, you know, undrafted for agents before who never made the team or who were barely around and said Tomlin treated them with the same respect and notice and attention that he did 
other guys. He cares about them more than just players. He wants to connect with them as, as people in their lives and their stories beyond just the game. You'll hear about it a lot. Some players will sit there and say, "We, I, I, besides the football field and practice, I didn't talk about football much with Coach Tomlin. We talked about life. We talked about our families, our kids, that kind of stuff. So I think that's certainly one of his strengths overall and why he's, you know, up until this point, potentially kept that locker room together because the guys trust him, they believe in him, and they really care about each other and um, have always kind of played as a team. All right. I know. Now, one of the really weird things about this Tomlin situation right now is that there's a bunch of people out there who think he should be fired and right so. And at the same time, with the other hand, say, and you know what? The Steelers should try and trade him and get a draft <laughs> pick for him. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we hear that a lot. You hear that with players. Yeah, this player's terrible. Get him out there. Can we get a fifth round pick for this guy? Like that happens a lot. And there's a there's an irony, I guess, to, to that point. Um, you know, we hear about coach coach trades a ton. To me, largely speaking, it's a lot of fodder. It's a lot of. Mike Florio loves making the case for it and more power to him, but it's so rare that it occurs. I mean, the last like true coach trade was, I would call what John, John Gruden in 2002. There's been some mm-hmm. since Sean, I guess Sean Payton was probably the most recent big one, but in terms of like coaches who were coaching with their team, not retired, not taking a year off, whatever the case mm-hmm. was like Bruce Arians, like Sean Payton, I would say Gruden in 02 was the, the most recent one. Now I think this year could be different with Bill Belichick. And I do wonder you know, Belichick, it sounds like he's done in New England. We had a Patriots beat writer on our podcast prior to the Pats game who was very adamant and pretty confident Belichick's going to be out after the season. And so if that guy gets traded, I think other owners say, okay, if Belichick can be traded, who else is on the table? So I can understand that, understand that a bit more this year. But again, my expectation is that Tomlin will be Pittsburgh's head coach in 2024. I'm not expecting a firing. I'm not expecting a trade. I think that's just... It sounds good on paper. It's great for a story in December, but then it'll be forgotten about come January. Okay. And I I would think the confluence of circumstances that would need to occur for it to occur, it it would be remarkably strange because Mike Tomlin has a say in this. He doesn't have to go anywhere and certainly he doesn't need the money. If he he doesn't really, if if he doesn't want to coach for Washington, even if Washington's offering a first round draft pick, exchange it for doesn't him. matter. He's not going to Washington. I just, just really quickly, if you wanted to entertain it for just a second, if I think Carolina is going to get mentioned here with David Tepper. Now I'm not saying Tomlin's going to want to go there and I don't know why he would want to go there, but, but a David Tepper used to be a minority owner of the Steelers before he got uh, replaced Jerry Richardson as the uh, owner of the Carolina Panthers. So there's a Pittsburgh tie there. B, David Tepper has all the money in the world, and C, he loves the big swing of that name head coach. And so I'm going to probably have an assumption that at some point you're going to at least hear the story reported that David Tepper would try to trade for Tomlin if he became available or were to inquire about that. Will it happen? Again, I very much doubt that. Why would Tomlin want to go to the Carolina that's just been a mess in firing head coaches? You know, routinely, you know, I, I don't see any reason for that, but I imagine that's going to become a story in about six weeks. All right. Well, fair enough. Now, you you already think Tomlin will be back for 24, but let's say whether it's one year, two years, however long it might be, or it could, it could be 10 years for now because Tomlin's certainly young enough for that. But is there a succession plan in place for him that you can see? No, not to my knowledge. Uh, I don't think there's really any internal guy that would be the successor. I don't think Pittsburgh talks about that, thinks about that, acts about that. I mean, again, coming into this year, the idea of Tomlin being fired or being even early on the hot seat was a non-starter. I mean, again, that that 
vocal minority, sure, but to everybody else, it was, I mean, sure. the, the assumption was that Tomlin will coach as long as he wants to coach the way that Chuck Nolan, Bill Cowher did, and that still may be true. Um, but I think certainly Tomlin's seat has warmed, and again, it goes back to, you know, the, the resume is there, the track record's there overall, but zero playoff wins since 2017. And that, that can't be ignored. Each year that gets tacked on, it becomes harder and harder to just brush aside. This is the longest Steelers playoff drought since the merger, essentially. I mean, mm-hmm. they went, they never won a playoff game until 1972. Mm-hmm. And then since then, they've never had a playoff losing streak of this degree, of this length. And there's a frustration there. It's not expecting and assuming this team's going to go to the Super Bowl every year. That'd be ridiculous. But winning a playoff game is a standard this team is capable of making. And it felt like, okay, last year in the transitional year without Ben, rookie quarterback can accept the struggles there. They had a great finish the last year. They went seven and two post by. This was the year they were going to take that next step, make that jump. There is talent. This roster is talented. It looks good on paper. And they're fading here with two miserable losses against the pair of two and 10 teams. So I understand the heat turning up on Tomlin. It should be. Uh, and again, I just go back to the lack of playoff success now going on, what, six years. And, and that's at some point you have to reckon with that. And you can't just sweep that under the rug anymore. Okay. I mean, fair enough. And and certainly between Flacco's 2012 Super Bowl and uh, Flacco, the Ravens win, and the rise of Lamar Jackson in 2018, the Ravens had a long run of playoff mediocrity as well with only one win during that time. Uh, and, and only, let's see, only, I think only one appearance during that time, right? 14, 50, 60, 70, yeah, they were out for, for, for a five-year period. They only had one playoff appearance and, and one win. Um, the thing that has been obviously put forth for the Ravens is the notion of a succession plan, which has picked up steam a lot with, with Mike McDonald's fantastic year as a defensive coordinator. And the thought that the Ravens will lose him as a head coach if they don't, um, attempt to make him Harbaugh's successor. It's, it is early for that, obviously, to, to mm-hmm. occur. If it did occur, it would happen behind the scenes because the Ravens would not want it to change the power dynamic of the locker room, I don't think. Um, but the Ravens really have a couple guys in-house right now who are legitimate succession candidates. I don't think Todd Monken is. He's too old, and, and that's not the way the Ravens would want to go. They'd want to go with a younger man. And Mike McDonald would make sense. I think the other guy that makes sense would be Anthony Weaver, who's a defensive line coach. Um, but but uh, uh, you know the, the, the notion of, of having a succession plan has been tossed out there largely because it worked for Eric DaCosta. Replacing That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. that that because I, I don't get that sense. It happens in other cities. You don't hear a succession. I mean, a little bit in New England with Gerard Mayo. That's been mm-hmm. floated out for a while. Uh, McDaniel's for a while, but it seems like in Baltimore because they just made because you knew DeCosta was going to replace Newsom. Yeah. It, it's more logical for that to occur in Baltimore. Um, what about T. Martin? I, 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 my short list of kind of OCs for next year for Pittsburgh. I imagine T. Martin might get a look from from the Steelers. He was drafted by Pittsburgh. There are some ties there, and he's done a great job with Lamar this year. So I could see it happen. It's reasonable. He's had a few different hats. Um, both of them have kind of he was a passing game coordinator last year. And so if you at camp, then he was very much um, watching at the line of scrimmage for releases while Keith Williams, their other Keith, Keith Williams, I always get, have to get this race, Keith Washington, Keith Williams. But, but Keith Williams was in the uh, at the at the uh, top of the stem watching deceleration, watching cuts out of there. And uh, and they both have a you know kind of a technical viewpoint, but Keith Keith Williams much more in your face about what he does 
than than Martin was. I, we don't really see the relationship between Lamar and T. Martin in the same way we saw it with Urban. And part of the thing was Urban was you know a total different height, and so he always stood out when he's talking <laughs> to talking to Jackson on the sideline. Um, I, I just I. I I don't have a really good sense of exactly how that relationship works. I can't tell you from, from, you know, being there at camp, what, what exactly how close that relationship is. Sometimes you can tell when a relationship isn't working between a coach and a player. Uh, and I have a, a couple good examples of that, but the, but the, but the, with this one, I, I couldn't really tell you how well it's working. Okay. Fair enough. I, I imagine there's got to be some relationship there. I mean, who works closer with a quarterback than your quarterback's coach, but, but point taken. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just, I don't know. And, right. and hey, if the connection is there, perfectly reasonable that he'd be interviewed for the job if, uh, uh, if, if it comes open again. So, and the current guy is not a candidate to continue. He's an interim guy only. Correct. Right now, they're kind of doing a, a split role of Eddie Faulkner, the running backs coach, is the interim OC. He has the title. He's responsible for more of the Monday through Saturday type stuff, game planning, organizing, leading the room and tape study, all those types of things. While Mike Sullivan, the quarterbacks coach, is the actual game day play caller. He's got OC experience with the Giants, with the Buccaneers, and of course, a close relationship with Kenny Pickett. So um, that that dividing up those roles made the most amount of sense. But just quickly bouncing off of that, Assuming Tomlin does come back in 24, that OC hire is going to be the most critical one he's ever made in his Steelers career. You got to get that one right. This offense has been just going backwards and just underwhelming for years now. And if Tomlin is to return, they have to find the right OC to get this offense jump started. Okay, fair enough. I mean, is it is it uh, the offensive lines had quite a bit of difficulty this year? You know, you can if you go if you go out and you find your quarterback in the next draft, which maybe they're not going to. Maybe they, it's Pickett front of the year with no no draft capital spent there. But if you if you leave Pickett there, I would think they would need offensive line help to try and get the offense jump started again. It's possible they've invested quite a bit in free agency. I mean, they, they revamped that offensive line basically twice in the last several seasons. Um, in the last two off-season cycles, they've signed center Mason Cole and right mm-hmm. guard James Daniels. And then this past off-season, they signed Isaac Say Molly with left guard and drafted Broderick Jones, who was thought to be the left tackle, now playing right tackle, could go out of the way for the future. So um, there's a potential to still add another tackle and a center there. Those are probably still needs, but the team has made significantly heavy investments in the O-line the last two off-seasons. Okay. All right. I, fair enough. I, I don't, uh, I won't press the point at all. Daniels has been good. Um, uh, Mason Cole, a lot of people would say not so much. And- yeah. That's going to need her. He was, he was, I was solid last year. It was stable last year, but this year it's been pretty poor. Yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. I think you've, you've kind of told us where the Steelers are likely to go from here. I guess one of the great things about the Ravens and Steelers rivalry has been that the, the head coaches have been pretty all well stable throughout it. Is you know you had a Cower Billick thing going on, and you, and then we've had a, a a Tomlin Harbaugh thing where it's only had one year of overlap on on the beginning of of, of Tomlin's career. It'd really, be a shame if this fell apart because I think it's part of the legacy of both men that they've had this incredible rivalry with each other. Is Harbaugh now the thir- he's the third longest tenured coach behind Tomlin and, and uh, Belichick? Correct. I believe so. He's, he's he certainly one year behind Tomlin. So right. I don't know if there's anybody else in there that I don't think there's anybody else, right? 
not assuming breaking up Peyton. Yeah. Uh, is that sabbatical year? Then if you take that off the table, then I think Harbaugh would be the third. Yeah. I mean, it, it's part of that special thing. I mean, cause the players are going to change, but, but the head coaches don't. And so you always know every year, twice a year, it's Tomlin Harbaugh. It's going to be a close game, go down to the wire. And you know, it, it, it's part of that, the legacy of Steelers Ravens, especially in this modern form, because the rivalry to some extent has lost its peak luster of Ward and Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Troy and, those types of things. So to mm-hmm. still have kind of two notable names and faces and Harbaugh and Tomlin um, kind of keeps that rivalry to, in, in a sense still going. Can I just ask you really quickly, since I, the thought came to mind, you asked earlier about Tomlin is Harbaugh a hall of famer. I mean, he's got a ring like Tomlin. I, I don't get the sense that people would say, yes, he is, but is his resume that dissimilar to Mike Tomlin's? No, I would, I would call the two resumes extraordinarily similar in terms of right. what they've, what they've done. I mean, I, I guess Tomlin has the one big thing that, that he's, he's had the winning record every year. Uh, Harbaugh has an extremely good playoff record, including a bunch of road playoff wins. Uh, you don't get a lot of credit for road playoff wins when you should be playing those games at home. Maybe a lot of people would say, but, but they've, but they've done, they did a lot. He did a lot with not a great quarterback at the beginning, and he's done a lot with different offensive and defensive styles over the years. So the Ravens, you know, the big thing about the Ravens' run defense is that they they always put the run defense first. And for for the first 20 years of their existence, they never allowed as much as 4.0 yards per carry. Mm. They were, they were they, 3.994 was their high water mark <laughs> in 2012. And a, a last a last play kneel by the by Andy Dalton, I believe, uh was what brought them under four that year. Oh my god, that's, that's insane! That's really, the most. That's the most significant kneel down in NFL yeah, history. So it, it bought them. They, they were they were three yards under the under the minimum. But they would you know if they had picked up I guess one or one on the play. If they pick up one on the play, that would have been a four point for the. For the <laughs> but anyway, for what it was, it's it was it was kind of interesting. But now they've decided this year. You know they've given up four and a half yards per carry on non kneels, and they basically have said, "Go ahead and try and run us. We don't think you can get all the way down the field on that." And they've only they've allowed a post-1982 record fewest yards per attempt. It's actually the record held by the Steelers from 2008 at 4.30 yards per um, pass. They're, the Ravens are currently at 4.18. So, wow. uh, yeah, they're, they've, they've been exceptionally good. And that's why McDonald, I think, is is going to be a head coach somewhere probably probably as early as next year. It might take him one more year to get there, but he'll certainly get interviews. Which is why the succession idea didn't make any sense to me because Harbaugh's going to be here for more than one season. McDonald's going to be gone unless you know you have to dump Harbaugh now to make that change. And of course, to be foolish to to do that. I think I think the idea would be ask Harbaugh to retire in five years and and pay McDonald like a head coach now because it's outside the cap, so you know it doesn't hurt you in that in that respect. Right. And then you you have an understanding that he'll be the head coach at, at that time, and in the intervening time, he's. He's making head coach money, and and uh, then you know you can maybe afford it. And I, you know, one thing I always say is, you you can spend as much of Steve Bashotti's money on the side that's outside the cap. But once you once you spend cap money or or draft capital, those belong to me as a season ticket holder. You have a say. Yeah. No, that, that's a fair point. I guess you could do that, but again, who you know, knows what the world looks like five years from now? So I think those things they sound good on paper. In reality, it's a lot messier. Yeah, it's that's exactly right. And and if you just think about it, if if they ever announce something like that officially, it would change the entire dynamic. Sure. And it's not like um Ozzy, who who Eric DaCosta was his right hand guy the whole time. He was his selection to be his his successor. So it's it's only natural he'd be, you know, invested in his success in doing that. Harbaugh would not have the same invested success in, in Mike McDonald, even though he he sent him on a 
one year internship to Michigan to, to, to do his defensive coordinator in training role before he came back to the Ravens. So, uh, can I, can I ask you uh, one more question about Harbaugh? I've always wanted to kind of get the insight. His special teams background, you don't see many head coaches with that background, but I think it's really interesting and valuable because that's the guy that really coached every position, you know, every offense, mm-hmm. defense. I mean, he, he worked with everybody. And I think there's a, 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 a benefit to that because you have that, you know, you weren't just an offensive guy, you weren't just a defensive guy, you were the team's guy. And that's a lot about buy-in and culture and trying to get guys to, mm-hmm. you know, want to do that because it's not something that a lot of them naturally uh, – cling to and gravitate towards does that has that helped harbaugh harbaugh over the years that background i I think for sure it has um for one thing your nfl survivors who the ravens have been extremely good at keeping valuable guys on the fringe of the roster who contribute usually on defense um in some sort of mid-range way but are their core special teams players like geno stone is a perfect example you know of a guy who you know was a was the special teams captain last year and malik harrison is a guy who plays only as an outside linebacker in the base package right now. So really not very many total snaps, 10 snaps a game or something doing that. But he's a, he's a core special teams player. So there's a lot of these carved out roles. Anthony Levine for years was that in a variety of roles. So anyway, I think that has has helped build a lot of roster stability with among those players that's been very positive for the team. The other thing is it just leads to a culture of not interfering directly with your guys very often with your with your coordinators which i think is very positive so if you're you're with in the billick era he brought in jim fossil who was a former head coach to run the offense in 2006 and he was actually calling the plays and billick wasn't agreeing with things and he had to fire fossil at mid-season that year um and said you know my job's on the line i i, I you know i i gotta let you go here um, and, uh, you know, the Ravens ended up finishing well, but then lost in the first round to to uh, the Colts in what I think is probably the second most disappointing loss or the first in team history uh, going out in the first round with a bye when they were the they were the Super Bowl favorites when the game was played by a mile. So mm. it's uh, it was really a, 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 a very, very bad loss. So anyway, the uh, uh, I, I have never felt like Harbaugh has been that guy who interfered with either coordinator. Um, and if you if you ask Harbaugh about offense and defense, he'll give you high level coach speak about things. You have to frame the question differently to get him to really talk about scheme and really get a sense of his understanding. And the question you have to ask is, what do they do? What does the other team do specifically that can be trouble for you? And then he'll go, oh, yeah, they, they run duo, mm-hmm. they run gap, they run, you know, and, and he'll, be, he'll, he'll, mm-hmm. he'll go into like 14 different run concepts they use. And, you know, they, they, they're shallow cross after shallow cross, take advantage of our linebackers. You, know, you, you, get, you get a whole lot of detail that shows he really does understand both sides right. of the ball. So it's a little, little Belichick-like where you have to prod and frame it in the right way yep. and hit the, the sweet <laughs> spot. Because I think Belichick will give you – I mean, he's given dissertations on history of long snapping. I mean, I, I, yeah. that kind of stuff, I love that. So it's, it's – Tomlin, yeah, I think Tomlin, it gets – viewed as not an X's and O's guy and as a, a motivational guy. And, and some of that maybe to a degree is true. He certainly can, can get guys to buy in and motivate them. But I think he's a smarter X's and O's guys than people give him credit for that. You know, his background for the longest time, he wasn't head coach until Pittsburgh and um, revered for his intelligence and ability to break things down, especially in Tampa Bay when he had a room of, you know, guys like what John Lynch and Derek Brooks and guys like that, that were about his age. I mean, they're about the same age and, and to work with them and to get those guys to buy in and you have to be credible. You have to know your stuff. And I think Tom to, to his credit does not get talked about enough for his actual football acumen. Mm-hmm. 
that's that's uh, I think that's a, a fair representation of both men in this case that that there are uh, uh, they're they're similar in that regard. All right, well, outstanding. I, I I certainly hope this rivalry between the two and between the Ravens and Steelers continues for years to come. Obviously, it's been it's been great for football. It's really been great for for I think both teams in terms of. Uh, keeping up fan interest and keeping up interest in the AFC North. Uh, I don't know if I'd be crazy about it if I were Bengals or Browns fan, but it is what it is. And uh, uh, it uh, hopefully will will uh, will benefit both men. And, and I'd really, you know, obviously in a lot of ways, Harbaugh is tied to Lamar Jackson now in terms of his Hall of Fame chances to get back, back to that question for a little bit. So what happens over these next five years? And I think Harbaugh will be here for at least the years that Lamar is is quarterbacking here. I think he's going to say a lot about whether or not he he uh, uh, he makes the Hall of Fame, and he's he's got a pretty good chance to uh, have some playoff success over these next five years. I would say with Lamar. Sure, I, I mean it, it's a well put together team. It's always stable. They have the quarterback. You have the quarterback. You have a chance. And for Pittsburgh, you know, Tomlin had never had to find a, a quarterback until 2022. He, he he was inherited Ben, inherited a Super Bowl winner, and it's, it's something most head coaches don't get because usually they're in the situation of you know rebuilding a, a mess of a team. So. That was a new thing for him, and you know it's hard to find a quarterback. They went Pittsburgh did from Terry Bradshaw, who retired in '83, to until Ben in 2004 to find the next franchise guy. So you can't assume that the next guy you brought in was going to become that guy. I mean, the jury's still out on Kenny Pickett. We'll see, but the early, well, not early, but the two-year returns have not been promising. That'll signify he's the the quarterback of the future. Just, just really quickly, last point on Tomlin. The other frustration with him is I talked about the lack of playoff wins. Not only has, have they not won a playoff game, the way that they've lost some of those in 2017 to lose to Jacksonville, upset by Blake Bortles, 45-42. Of course, in 2020, the wild card game against Cleveland, expected to to win that one. The Browns have COVID issues. The fancies in its basement at that for that game, and to to get upset and kind of routed in that one. So it's not just the losses, but these upset defeats. And really, the last three playoff games have been, you know, Jacksonville a loss there, blown up by the. Uh, beat pretty handily by the Browns and the blown up by the Chiefs in, in 2021. So those are stinging defeats. And and you go back to the Tebow loss in 11 even was, was, that was a, that was a tough loss to swallow given that the, they were, um, you know, a team that certainly was competing with the Ravens in the AFC North all the way through that year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, yeah. I mean, that one was a really hurt. No, no question. The uh, um, did they end up losing the game? I'm trying to remember the game against Cincinnati. Vontez Perfect had. I mean, there were so many personal fouls in the last two minutes of that game. Is is how I recall it. Pittsburgh won that game. Yeah, in okay. part due to all those penalties on a Boswell late field goal. So it was a squeaker. I think what was it, eighteen sixteen, something like that. But Pittsburgh did win that game. Okay. Fair enough. I just I hadn't remembered how that went, honestly. Alex, always a pleasure to talk football with you. This is a great conversation. I think it's it's always nice to just get a a real handle on on maybe maybe not what the typical fan is, but what what I I think an informed uh, fan and and follower of the uh, of the Steelers does. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online or or read your work. Sure. SteelersDepot.com is the site. Uh, getting ready for uh, later on. We'll have the, the Ravens game for week 18. Always do a scouting report. Always interesting to to scout. And we'll do a, a scheme analysis and individual analysis from our crew, myself included. So look out for that, uh, Ravens fans, later this season. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Ken, thank you so much. It's always a, a great opportunity to talk with you. It's a really level-headed, informative discussion, and I always look forward to them. Okay, much appreciated. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. 
Nice short topic as always ideal. We're trying to pro- provide some uh, less uh, intimidating content than the one hour stuff that I, that I often do, including this particular uh, uh, topic with Alex. Alex, thanks again for joining me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.